This Water's Catch podcast is proudly brought to you by Audible. Do you find that you just don't have time to read all of the awesome books that you hear mentioned on The Wellness Couch? Well, Audible might just have the answer. Audible is offering The Wellness Couch listeners a free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial to give you the opportunity to check out their service. You can get books like Eat Right for Your Blood Type, Why We Get Fat by Gary Torbs, The Paleo Diet for Athletes, or even The Success Principles by Jack Canfield. So to download your free audiobook today, go to audibletrial.com forward slash The Wellness Couch. Again, that's audibletrial.com forward slash The Wellness Couch for your free audiobook. TheWellnessCouch.com, streaming wellness into your lives. Welcome to The Abnormal Psychologist, the show that shares everyday insights into getting the best out of your mind, body, and lifestyle. Now please welcome your host, the abnormal psychologist herself, Carrie Thompson-Casey. Hello, and how are you going? Welcome to another episode of The Abnormal Psychologist with me, your host, Carrie Thompson-Casey, the show where we are giving you the how-to to get the best out of you. And today is another special edition, and I wanted to talk in particular about a disorder that affects children quite a bit. And often I get quite a few referrals at the earlier part of the year when school starts or a couple of weeks into the first term, but not necessarily. It can happen at other times as well, where I start to see that parents are reporting that the child seems to have new fears around going to certain places, particularly school, and you start to see that separation anxiety. So that's mostly what I'll be talking about today in this special edition of Mental Health and Children. So let's get started. Let's have a look at what kind of selection criteria your GP or your psychologist or other mental health professional would be looking at, or possibly even a teacher, what they would be looking at that meet where your child or someone you might know where the child might meet criteria for that separation anxiety. And and what we know about anxiety is that it's usually some kind of excessive fear or worry. But in this instance, it's about separating um, from a particular individual or individuals, usually parents or guardians. Um, and, and there's at least three of these following criteria also met where there's recurrent excessive distress when anticipating or experiencing the separation from home or other major attachment figures. Or there might be persistent and excessive worry about losing that major attachment figure or possible harm coming to them or illness or injury or disaster. Um, Another is persistent and excessive worry about experiencing some kind of horrible event or even an uncomfortable event like getting lost um, or having an accident right up to fear of being kidnapped or anything that might cause a separation between them and their attachment, their, their parent or guardian. There might also be a reluctance or a refusal to go out or away from home. Perhaps that's to school um, or possibly even work for older, stu- or older children. Um, any type of scenario where they will have to separate. Um, a fear of being just without that person. So it might not even be necessarily leaving the home to go to school or another location and might be the parent leaving the home to go to work or to go to a meeting. There might also be nightmares where on waking the child 
reports that the nightmare was about being separated. There might also be complaints about physical symptoms. And this is one of the really interesting things about mental health and working as a clinical psychologist is that a lot of people believe that psychologists only work on the mind, which couldn't be farther from the truth. Of course, mental health implies a lot of what our thoughts are, but it's also about our behaviors and somatic complaints or those physical complaints that affect what happens in terms of how a mental health issue may manifest. So again, with anxiety, what we see in children is that this this separation anxiety may manifest as physical symptoms such as headaches, stomach aches, nausea, vomiting, um, and this may intensify, um, which of course makes it very difficult for the parents as well um, when that separation may take place. So we would expect that these types of scenarios would be playing out and be persistent for at least four weeks continually um, and, and maybe even for up to six months before a referral takes place. And of course, the level of distress is such that it causes some impairment to their capacity to go to school or their social skills um, and it, and of course that this separation disturbance is not caused by something else so for example if there's been a recent significant grief issue or other things or other issues related to medications of some kind then we would have to differentiate from that kind of presentation so this is what you might see. So again, it's excessive fear or anxiety concerning separation from um, a primary carer or guardian. And that can be particularly in terms of going to school or leaving that, that person or home, or it might be that, that person leaving the child at home um, in the care of somebody else. And it's causing persistent distress and excessive distress. So when I receive a referral like this, of course, the first thing that takes place is a thorough assessment with the parent or guardian and with the child. Because what we want to do over time is to understand the underlying triggers, understanding also what's keeping this fear cycle in place so that we can address those issues and minimize the amount of distress the child is experiencing and hopefully reduce that so that they can participate in school life like other children. So something that we would look at um, is assessing the specific fear. So is it a fear of um, not being able to get back to a loved one? Um, Is it about when they get to school, they find them that their usual peer group's not available to them. Um, it could be a number of different things that allow that fear to become intensified on separation. And then, of course, if the child does separate, they get into school, there's no, no teacher they're familiar with, there's no friends they're familiar with, and suddenly they feel anxious. They may even start to cry. They, they find difficult accessing support in that moment. And of course, then being a human and, and we're all our bodies and brain are always looking for ways to survive, we may start to associate that drop-off time with fear and anxiety. 
and and that can be that can be why it doesn't always necessarily start on the first day of school and of course that's terribly distressing and uncomfortable for the child and and no adult in the care of that child would necessarily expect that to occur again something very interesting about mental health is that different people in the same circumstances don't necessarily appear with the same symptoms or manifestations of disorder just because they've been exposed to the same threat or or difficult situation. So once we start to establish perhaps how that anxiety started um, and what triggered the fears in that child, it's also important to start to understand what keeps that cycle in place. So talking around what the child may believe will happen if they are separated. So really getting a really good understanding without judging or without trying to immediately say, well, that's silly. Why would you worry about that? Because of course, for the child, these fears are very real. So in that first instance, we just really want to understand what is the basis of fear for that child? What what is it that they're afraid of that has become so powerful and they they really believe that that fear may may become a reality and so we want to listen with gentle curiosity to really understand where that's coming for from the child and through the therapeutic process and working with the parents they're the fears that we can start to work on with the child so and and break that cycle um, of the, that fear experience. So that's when, once that relationship starts to build and there's an opportunity to talk to the parents, we'll start to build up some coping and resilient strategies. So starting to understand the coping st- skills that the child already has. Perhaps they've been dropped off to ballet or cricket or something else and they've coped really well with that. So not necessarily targeting the fears in the first instance, but starting to remind the child of what their strengths are and how they manage that in that moment. And then building on those existing strengths and skills by teaching the child anxiety management strategies. And depending on the age of the child and the interests of the child, it could be working on muscle relaxation, it could be working on breathing, it might even be looking at conversations the child has with themselves around their strengths in those particular situations. So it might even be giving the child and the parents some homework, so evidence of their acts of rebellion against their anxiety. So what did they do this week that made them the boss of that fear or the boss of their anxiety? Even if we're not quite targeting that separation anxiety straight away. Basically, what we're trying to do is build that safety net so it's there and ready when we start to do more challenging tasks. So each session the child comes in, we might be talking more about their strengths, their successes, their wins, and also practicing some of these relaxation strategies, relaxing their muscles, practicing their breathing practicing the conversations they have, perhaps even giving them a little coping statement where they provide reassurance to themselves. So then what we might plan out with the parent and with the child is what we call a hierarchy of 
fear where we look at a hierarchy of where that separation anxiety is produced in certain situations. So does the fear start at home when they start to put their uniform on or have their breakfast? Is it getting in the car or is it walking in the front gate of school? So we start to be really clear about where does the anxiety start and writing out what is the the top of the hierarchy. When does the child feel the most anxious um, and those physical symptoms and feeling very upset start to take place. Because what we want to do is plan out some initial exposure to those anxiety-provoking situations. So in the background, we've been building a relationship with the child, we've worked out some of their strengths and their successes, and they've built up some self-talk skills and some breathing strategies. And so now we want to introduce something that allows them to face a little bit of a challenge on that hierarchy. So what it might be is saying to mom at breakfast time, my tummy feels a bit funny. I wonder if I'm feeling anxious about school. And the therapist may have talked to them about fight or flight and they might use some of that language. And then the parent and the child can talk about using their breathing strategies at that point to reduce that physical arousal that occurs as part of anxiety. Now, this might not work the first time. This is about building skills over time. It's also about talking at this point around what the child's expectations are of what just might occur when they get dropped off. So having those conversations. So there's a narrative around drop-off time if the separation anxiety occurs in that environment, but we'll just go with that example for now. So for example, what does the child will expect The child might expect that by the time they get to school, when they walk in, there won't be anybody there that they know. They'll become distressed and upset and there won't be anybody there to comfort them. So if we know that's the next thing on the hierarchy, we will use the breathing strategies, we'll use the self-talk, but we might have set something up. We might have set up perhaps an older child from the school as a buddy, or perhaps there's even someone at the school that the child knows. And the parents may have arranged for the buddy to be at school, to be there with the child. And this then might go on for a week or so. So for a week or so, the child anticipation around being alone and afraid is reduced because their anticipation is by being met by their buddy. So you would hope that with the breathing, the self-talk and the buddy, we will reduce some of that anxiety. Mum might walk in with her or him to meet the buddy and that's the start, doing the breathing. Now it's important also what we haven't talked about is rewards, but we'll get to that in a moment. Let's just keep talking about the hierarchy. So then maybe two or three days if this is successful with the child meeting the buddy in the school and the buddy helps out for the first few minutes until the peer group arrives and the buddy can hand over the child to their friends. What might happen in the background is that mum might start to allow the child to walk towards the buddy from a greater distance and that would get become increased as the child feels uncomfortable. So perhaps on the last day the buddy may meet the child at the school and walk the child all the way into the school with just the buddy. 
Now, at this point, this is where the mum or dad or the primary caregiver may also need to work on their own anxiety, which the therapist, of course, will have worked on through sessions as well. As the parent naturally becomes anxious because they don't, of course, want to leave their child in a situation where they feel distressed. So at this point, the parent needs to also manage their own anxiety about separating from the anxious child. So hopefully I'm painting a picture here that helps to identify this hierarchy. This is really important for any kind of graded exposure work where gradually we're introducing the child or the adult to a situation in which they may perceive as threatening. So we're talking about separation anxiety. So what we're hoping is we can develop a gradual exposure to being dropped off at school and we're changing the child's relationship with that time of day using breathing, self-talk and strategies where the child feels much more comfortable. So then we start to practice this exposure. So over time, the parents and the therapist and the child will negotiate the next level and of course the next level of reward. So what can happen here is rewards can be many and varied, whatever is motivating for your child. Um, It might be a reward such as a play date with a friend. It might be a reward of $5 to spend at their favorite craft store. It might even be um, a visit to the local pool or the beach. It really depends on what rewards, but it also needs to be staggered with the level of the hierarchy. So, for example, as we do the earlier stages, it's important the rewards are good and consistent and timely, that they happen when the parent says they'll happen, but also they need to grow. And the child knows that we're aiming that at drop-off time, they'll be able to walk themselves into school and the reward for that will be, will be at a level that you would expect or the child would expect, given the amount of effort the child had to put in to get to that point. So... Having the reward and the task, maybe even putting it on a poster um, where the child can see the stages. It depends on their ability. I mean, if we're talking about um, a prep or kindy kid, it might not necessarily be a word chart. It might be something that has pictures on it that you talk about. They work through those challenges and then they'll achieve the, the level of reward that's commensurate with each level. And again, it's really important that that working with the family's experience of anxiety as well. It's important for the mum to narrate, you know what, I find it hard to drop you off in the morning too because I don't like to see you upset. But it's important that we both work together so that I can get to work on time and you get to play with your friends before school and before class. So that can be a really important aspect. So again, using their strengths, So using these same strategies when you drop them off at something else like dance or sport or other activities that they might do and really pointing out to them, wow, I really noticed how well you went into that today. So really praising their efforts for separating in a in a healthy way. I really noticed how happy you were to see your friend when you got there today. Or I really noticed that that you enjoyed talking to your teacher before class. So bringing attention for the child to these strengths that they already have. Then 
building up to other types of separation as well. Sometimes children find it difficult to generalise that they can separate at ballet but they can't separate at school. So finding other opportunities that are new for them and maybe not as regular to demonstrate separation. And so this might be the parent separating from the home and leaving the child with another parent or it might be something exciting that's planned where you arrange for your child. Maybe there's a school disco or something else, a one-off event where the child might go with another parent. So other ways in which you give your child the opportunity to build these skills. And gradually, they'll be for longer periods of time. And again, bringing attention to this for the child so that they can start to generalize because they may not be able to do that on their own. So recognizing that they were able to do that and what did they think worked that time and children are amazing at saying that time I didn't worry about not seeing you till afternoon I was just really excited to see my good friend Betsy so that's great because the child will start to articulate to you what they're finding works so don't underestimate their resources once they start to develop this language through the therapy sessions and through all this work. They really get a great handle on what works for them. And learning breathing skills and relaxation skills to calm down the mind and body is something that children will have for such a long time, particularly when they might have experiences where they are seeing things on the playground that they don't like and how they can handle them. And so many classrooms now are building in mindfulness strategies and relaxation strategies, um, and they're really understanding the importance of this. Because I know certainly in the last 11 years of private practice, um, but even the last 20 years of working with children and families, the incidence of anxiety is becoming so great. And we could go on for hours why that might be. But of course, it's just my opinion is the biggest thing is overstimulation of parents and children that we don't have as much time free to to calm down so even though screen time your children might look like they're just sitting there their brains are very active in whatever game they're playing to to achieve a certain amount in a certain period of time and there's a usually a time threat or a number of lives threat and so their body is getting this stimulation from these games no matter what it is and there's usually a level of performance even some of the girls games where it's about dress my friend and win a certain amount of points on how well you dress the doll in the game and how fashion forward it, and there's some really curious things that might seem very interest, in, innocent that often have a performance element in it and often our performance is what speaks to our level of anxiety is how will we perform in a certain time. So task versus time really affects not just adults who are in overwhelm but children as well. So I hope that this helps to explain separation anxiety because it can really be very distressing for parents, guardians and their children and it can really have a flow-on effect to disrupt the entire morning uh, trying to get the child into class on time, trying to get teachers and other staff to help you as well as trying to get off to other commitments that the parent or guardian might have or even other children who also need to get to school. And of course, if the child has 
has those physical ailments of distress, such as nausea, even up to vomiting or hyperventilating, of course, it can be very distressing for those around and trying to to comfort the child while getting them to school, parents can get really confused about whether to use um, an expression that some parents use is whether to show tough love or whether to be really understanding. And my response to that is that it really depends on the situation and the child. And most importantly, it's understanding the mechanism of anxiety and that arousal and also understanding those mechanisms of de-arousal, how to calm down that mind and body for both child and parents or guardian. And that's absolutely critical to working on that hierarchy of fear one step at a time, picking that low-hanging fruit, that easiest challenges first, so the child can can experience some success in managing that separation anxiety. Well, I hope this has been useful to you or any of those mums, dads or guardians out there or grandmas and all sorts of people who might be struggling with some separation anxiety. But I really encourage you to also talk to your local health professional or GP if your child is experiencing this level of distress and perhaps they will recommend referral to a psychologist or clinical psychologist that can work with you and your family to make sure that you guys can become the boss of that separation anxiety and make it much more easier for everyone involved. Well, thank you for joining me today. I really enjoy having you um, be part of the show and listening in. Please spread the word and tell your family and friends and workmates to listen to and subscribe to The Abnormal Psychologist in iTunes or you can visit the show at thewellnesscouch.com. And please don't forget to give the show a five-star rating if you liked it. And whether you're an individual or an organization, if you've enjoyed the podcast and learning about strategies to improve your mood and psychological health, please visit me at carriethompsoncasey.com. That's Thompson without a P. And look for other events and products. And this year, there's going to be lots of exciting things happening, but it's a little bit slow at the moment, a bit slower than planned. But there's lots of workshops coming up and lots of visits to organizations and some speaking events coming up all across the country. And I really love doing those workshops. And shortly, I will be opening again the mentoring program um, that's specifically for women who are hoping to thrive this year and want to reach some really important goals. So contact me at Carrie at CarrieThompsonCasey.com. I'd love to hear what you want to achieve this year. So thank you for joining me and see you on the next episode of The Abnormal Psychologist, where we share real people's stories and give you real ideas so that you can realize your potential. Take care. This has been a production of TheWellnessCouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on Facebook.com forward slash TheWellnessCouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.